Okay. Let's get busy. We're going to go to Proverbs because that's been our midweek study. I would encourage you to plan on a midweek study. It's an important time to get together. It's not necessarily historically the um, kind of, if you would, um, crowds that we draw on Sunday, but it, it could be. It's really important. Um, we learn much more with regard to our Bible understanding and doctrine. Proverbs is where we jumped to when we went to the beach because we had gone through these Psalms. I think in about 10 years, that was a Psalms being taught throughout our 10 years. We're going into our 12th year this year. So that's good. So you are getting the weight of scripture from beginning to the end. Genesis to Revelation. We've been faithful at doing that. So we'll spend just a couple more weeks probably in Proverbs. Wisdom in the outcome with Proverbs, we can name many of them by the themes that are being presented. And so one of the things that we will find is that it really applies that title in and of itself towards all the Proverbs. There's an outcome that God would like to have credit for. There's an outcome that we would like to not participate in what inevitably can be consequential because perhaps we didn't ask God what to do and how to do it, or we became, if you would, self-sufficient in so many deliverances that he's made that we weren't intending, but we just suspended talking to God about it, whatever that it is. You know, today, on a driveway that is leading up to our house and down. It's very steep. Pine needles fall on it. I'm in slick shoes. I've seen enough falls and I've actually been a part of falling in slick shoes on slick pavement. And I said, Lord, I really cannot afford to take a fall. I would ask that you give me wisdom on every footstep I take, every pine needle that we didn't have an opportunity to wash away or broom sweep. I really did. And then when I got to the vehicle, I said, thank you, Lord, for doing that. You got me as far as in the vehicle. And then, of course, I prayed as I drove here. That's actually applied wisdom in the practical of the everyday stuff that we can take for granted. Have you ever been in a car and you said, my goodness, they missed me or I missed them? Well, that's the providential hand of God on your life. If you asked for wisdom as you drive, you'll recognize that, that in that moment, actually, he satisfied in real time your request. So these are kind of pictures for you. You might be hearing the word of the Lord through a command that God has given to you through someone that perhaps you have dismissed as being a voice piece of God. Sometimes it's the parent, the teacher, the authority over you that has spoken a word of wisdom to you. And you might remember a time in which you didn't take that advice and you got cut in the process. That's actually a real life 
experience with me. I got cut twice because I wasn't listening to the Lord through authority over me. I've shared it once. I'll make it really brief. Camping trip. Dad saw me playing with a pocket knife, fold-up blade. He said, Rich, I don't want you to be playing with that. Okay, Dad. Put it in my pocket. Went out into the forest to play with it. It folded on my finger. And whatever that may represent to you in trauma, it was traumatic. And I discovered something about myself. I'm really stubborn in trauma to not be helped. And so I sat there crying and bleeding. And I thought to myself, I'm going to die here. And I didn't even have a chance to tell Dad I was sorry. Well, I waited to die and it just wasn't happening. It was just completely slow. The process was way slow. So I decided to take myself back home to the trailer and I reported into my father. Mm, you were playing with the folding knife, weren't you? Mm-hmm. I couldn't get around that one. No, why would you say something like that? <laughs> so at any rate, that was truly where wisdom had been given to me and I ignored it. Got cut, had a, have a scar still to, to the same day. And the last one, which you're very familiar with, is a time in which my father had a stronger chat with one another. It was actually my dad giving me counsel, wise counsel. But rather than receiving it in humility, I was very angry with what his counsel was. His counsel was not going to let you go, not going to let you do that. And the not letting me go and not letting me do that was a trip that I'd planned with somebody to go on a bike ride from Grants Pass, Oregon to Brookings because my older brother did it. I said, I can do it. He weighed us out. Jim could do it. I was not given that privilege. That bothered me. So in the argument, I was angry, bitter. And then I proceeded to do a job which was requiring every faculty that I had, both in coordination and skill. And because of my anger, I was not skilled to do it at that time. So basically, I fell through a window, lacerated my arm. I'm sure glad that my dad didn't delay saving me because you know what? Had he not been there, I would not be here. I would have been stubborn enough to say, it's just a cut. I've been here before. Just a little bit more blood. I was bleeding out. And praise God, my father met me at the time of crises to do one thing, strap his hand around my gaping wound. And so that is simply a prelude to say that in our necessity to have wisdom, the Lord's chosen by quip, clever antidotes to be able to share with his people what it takes to be wise. And you may find yourself in today's insight, and I might say for living, there just like I was. If it is in fact wisdom is the outcome, wisdom for the outcome, wisdom in the outcome, whatever might be your link 
to an outcome that is good and not consequential, then don't bleed out unnecessarily. And don't be presuming that you can hold out. So Proverbs right now, 14, and we'll see how far we get in it. We're picking it up, though, where I left off. So chapter 14, and we will be in the 10th verse. Here it goes. The heart knows its own bitterness. And a stranger does not share its joy. So there is something that is profound in this. And most of us would say, I can identify with that. Because I just shared with you kind of in sequence situations in my life in which through disobedience, there was a bitterness that I inherited. There was either a bitterness that I inherited through disobedience or a bitter consequence. And so sometimes it is both. In this case, it says that the heart knows the heart knows what has been an affliction to you. It's not difficult in these days to actually have an artillery of affliction come after us, shelling our lives, destroying perhaps even what we would say are spiritual strongholds in the best sense, the place that we are confident God has anchored us in his word, Got here about 5.36. I'm really not sure what time it is. And one of the things I do is I just go around the perimeter. I usually move over to the baptismal. I survey it. It's cold. I know it's not going to necessarily work for those who want something warm. And so there's a, there's a process. The process to get the baptismal hot so that by the time the service closes, if anybody so chooses to get baptized, is no less than an hour. It moves in about 14-minute increments before the heater times out and I have to be there to then restart it. And that's usually my process. And I'm putting my hand on it. And then when I see steam at the top of it just kind of drifting like a fog bank, then I go, we're getting there. We're getting there. And so I moved then from that to my office, and I realized, man, this place is just getting to be a storage hazard. And I decided to start cleaning and moving things out and moving things into place where there was order. Have you had a disordered life? Has it been like, oh my goodness, why now and why so much? Well, that's... That's where I was at in my office. If they would have done one of their... You don't have that on film, do you, Karis? My office? That could have been a good one for illust future illustrations. <laughs> Dad, I really want to do something special with Stephen tonight. We could work that out, can't we? I've got a film of your office. <laughs> Stephen and her take care of each other very well. And so as I was going through stuff, I found this beautiful word from the Lord to me. 
And I said, oh, Lord, how I need to hear that again, how I need to see it. I had dated a previous promise from God that was the very promise that I received. The older one was faded. It was beginning to, if you would, just give up its pristine condition. But I cherished it. But when I saw this new one, it was just as if God met me for the first time. And I said, thank you, Lord. I receive. Why? Because there have been pressures and I was beginning to feel discouraged. And the Lord chose to encourage me through a passage which he says, I never forgot what I gave you from the word. And here's the evidence that what you believed in faith is yours today to receive in faith. Do you find that to be true in your life, that you just need an encouragement? In other words, God will encourage you through the Proverbs for wisdom to accept a situation and not get bitter over it. He will determine that in his perfect timing, and we should live in an expectation. This is saying very often that we ignore what is compounding in our heart and compressing the heart to where literally it doesn't want to beat anymore, not like it once did. And that can happen based on fatigue. It can happen based on tensions, things that have been disappointing to you almost in consecutive lineage where you just don't seem to get a break. The heart knows its own bitterness. Notice this, though. And a stranger does not share its joy. That seems ironic to me. I mean, the stranger, okay, how would they be able to share? But notice the two words. There's bitterness and there's joy. It's saying that for you and I, in our living condition and on the discipline of living for the Lord, it is both. There are situations in which the heart indeed can be a cistern that has bitterness mingled with what should be a heart that is to overflow like torrents of living water. But somehow, the situation, the event, has contributed to a muddying of the water. Rather than the flow happening, bitterness begins to dam up what the heart is intended to flow in. And what it says here is that that is joy. The contrast brings me to have an understanding that God is not dismissing the situations and events in our life that can cause us to become bitter. But what we do know about bitterness is that it's a root. And if it's allowed to plant itself also in what the heart is identified as a soil, then it will affect an outcome in which consequence or certainly a severance from really being able to say, this is what I know about God. This is whom I have followed as he is my God. And when those situations then become overbearing, 
you're all of a sudden not bearing fruit. This indicates that this person, as it's being outlined, is one who has experienced the hardness of life. Life is hard. God is good. Love that phrase. And he's good all the time. And he's timely in assuring us that he intends good for us. And so you wouldn't have known it. Why? Because though I felt at times the bitter sting of situations in my life, the walk to my office, the ascent up a couple of stairs, the assessment, my office, my place, my study, it is just overflowing with stuff that now has no order. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to put this part of my life in order right now. I'll figure out the dynamics of it later. What I am going to do is put it in order. And there was the discovery of what God wanted me to see. He says, good, order your life. Put it into an effectual organization that, one, gives you room to move. Are some of you living with cluttered lives? Well, then maybe for you, your discovery about putting your hand to it will lead to the repristination of a promise that God has never forgotten, but it just got dusty. It just was not the thing that you remembered with reverence and with what this indicates as the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. People that look at our lives and see us go through these difficulties, they cannot appreciate it because the Spirit of God is not within them for them to understand that it's the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of living for God that enables us to take at times these very hard footsteps to come in here. But I'll tell you my favorite place to take a footstep in in my times of discouragement is this place. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. The principle never fails. Even though the shackles may not be cut or the key to the handcuffs that may be on you by the enemy, or by culture, he is a true warden of the soul. He oversees us when we have found ourselves in captivity. There are people on a regular basis every Sunday that have been captured by the devil. In their mind, they've been taken as a hostage. They have succumbed to an enemy in a way that God says, that guy Satan is not bigger than me, this guy. I'm your guy. He's a nuisance. His intentions are sinister and evil. He's not bigger than me. And my intention has never changed about you, Rich, or whomever. I've got a great plan. I've got a great purpose. Now get the clutter out of your way. Because what's ever in your way is in my way, God would say. Whatever clutter is in your way is in my way. I've laughed at the clutter because I'm sometimes going, how to get here? I have clutter agents. <laughs> it's okay because what I know is that it has somehow come from my inventory. 
And then sometimes it's just bequeathment. But nevertheless, somebody gives it to me so that I have a decision to make on how to give it to God. It's not that somebody's intending to oppress me. It's that God allows me to experience the weight of a cluttered life that requires a determined attitude. Get rid of it. Organize it. There's a treasure that you're going to discover when you start putting that away. I like that. The world will not understand the joy that you have, even they knowing that there's a bitterness that technically you have experienced. And it's how we deal with that experience with regard to the bitterness, that bad taste that's been left in your mouth about someone, about an event. The Lord, when we take opportunity to meet with him and to say at the time in which we are served the elements of communion, Lord, my heart's not right. There's less flowing out of it than what your word declares ought to be. Torrents of living water. I don't want to be damning up stuff that actually is damnable. Take it, Lord. Take it, take it, take it. Some of us are afraid to say that because we think that it means he's going to take something from you. That can happen, but actually he's trying to spare you from something being stolen from you. The word take does not always indicate what we think is our fear about what we'll lose in the process of saying, Lord, take it. He removes the stuff that actually is impeding what he has given to us or what he is intending to give to us. He's not one who kids with us, jokes around, intentionally puts himself in a situation in which he's robbing you of your joy. God doesn't do that. He effectually guarantees his joy in your life in the times that are bitter. But we have to say, take it from me, Lord. Lord, take, take the switchblade from me, the pocket knife. Whatever it is that I've got that you say is potentially going to cut me is yours. It's intriguing to me. I think I can handle it. But Lord, it's yours. Why? So that in what inevitably will be a time of a crisis that can indeed impose bitterness in you, you let it go. Because greater is the joy in you than what the crisis has done to you. And you practice it. Shackles, whatever it may be, cement blocks, you walk through a door in which your purpose is to worship God in spite of how you feel. That's the sacrifice of praise. We happen to be very blessed with worship leaders here, in my opinion. And I can say it because I am a musician. I don't say much about my contributions, love to. But when I get to sit and to hear praise, and by the way, also hear it from you guys in the back, I'm going, this is awesome. The bitterness is going. The better part is coming. I so, to see these kids up here 
Didn't that kind of just take away some of your bitterness and frustration? Why? Because you're looking. Who would, would you guys do what they did? I don't think so. These guys were divine performers of truth. It was amazing. Rich, it's only the 10th verse you started us on that. It's not like you worked your way to 10. It's only 10. Okay, let's go to 11. (laughs) The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. It's an interesting concept on terms, but it's meant to say something. Those who live for the world and in the world and apart from God, they have these magnificent houses, these mansions. By comparison to what they would say we have, it's a tent. The tent actually is the emphasis of a boast that you can make. You realize that you're temporal here. Whatever it may be that indeed could be surmised economically by real estate agents as a mansion, God says, ah, my people are on pilgrimage. It's just a tent. Enjoy it for the season that you have, but it's a tent. And we're to take pride in the Lord for that which he has given to us. I don't compare my tent to anybody else's tent. And I'm just as impressed with somebody else's tent that is a pilgrimage to their, if you would, walk of faith as I am with perhaps where I'm at. Because I've been on a long pilgrimage with the Lord. And I've tasted dust, lots of dust. I've worn through sandals. And so for a short season, perhaps in my life, there's actually a place that the records would say it's, it's a house, but I know it's a tent because God allowed it to be special to us after all these years. I just go, it's a tent. We will leave it behind when this tent folds. My tent remains for perhaps some in my family. But the bottom line is, is anything that we have right now that is a dwelling place, God says it's a tent. Enjoy it for a season. Be ready, though, when this tent folds, because in heaven is where I'm taking you, and it is a temple. And it will make anything that we're in presently nothing to be enamored by at all. Maybe the Lord will give us an opportunity where we get to laugh at how good we thought we had it. When we get into heaven, he goes, you were clueless about what I prepared. The house of the wicked will be overthrown. So don't worry about those who in culture live in multi-million dollar estates. So big they can't really even keep up with it. It's that massive. I can't remember whose estate went on the market, but I've never heard of a price like that. And maybe some of you guys would. don't know if it was a... I think it was some type of Hollywood mogul or something. It was like $55 million. I've never heard of that type of a house price. But whatever God has been preparing for you and I, it makes that look like pennies. The wicked have brevity. It's just for a season. We're not to envy them at all. Because 
wisdom says this is what God has given us to enjoy and the outcome is contentment if you're able to accept it clean up the clutter move things around release stuff that has no necessity in your spiritual life right now and see what he will do see the new fresh revelation that he gives I'm so happy that I spent time uncluttering the office for a renewal of the promise that he had given to me almost 10 years ago, I calculated it. 10 years ago, I recorded the promise. And he refreshed it for me today. Maybe today he's refreshing that promise to you, something you forgot that he spoke. A way that you started off well and you just got shackled you just got brain fog. You missed the fork in the road because perhaps your appetite lended itself to eating things of the world that took your appetite of what God says is spiritual food. I will taste and see that the Lord is good, but it's not out there. Your banqueting out there is more greatly appreciated when you've dined here first. If you try to catch up, it's spoiled food. The picture in the book of Exodus when manna was provided for the children of Israel was collected in the morning while it's fresh. Don't try to do anything beyond that except what I'm giving to you in this moment. You collect it. Do with it in preparation what is available for you to do. You can cook it in many different ways. You can eat it in many different ways, but don't try to stockpile it or it will turn sour. It'll literally become worms in your hands. And so that's one of the ways that we live in independence from the world and dependence upon God is we savor what it is. He has said, I've just prepared this in my kitchen. It's for you. Come, taste and see what the Lord will do. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh my goodness, I thought it was going to be in the pancakes or the bacon or the eggs or the steak or the fish. It was in your word and it was so good for my soul. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There was a way, little Richie, that seems so right, but avoiding the commandment of your father it almost led to death. The first one, in my mind, it was a death sentence. And the problem was truly in what my mind was made up to do. I'm not going to get help from dad because I knew that what I'd done was wrong. So I became evasive until I got bored dying. What have I got to lose? I'm not dead yet. Must come in a different manner. And because of what I learned from those incidences, I have been at least, I think, wise to say, I'm going to pray about what I'm going to do this day and about that next step that I take down that slippery slope. I've handled hills. I know about gravity. I also know about frailty. I know about being overconfident. I know that now, at the age that I'm at, I can afford to fall less than I could when I was in my 20s. I want to be wise. 
this says that with regard to that, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Well, if my outcome is to be a good outcome, then it must be able to receive wisdom in how it comes about. Am I participating in the consequence? Or am I saying, God, I defer to you. I'm referring to you. I defer to you. Let me be obedient that the outcome will produce income. Are you talking about finances? Maybe I am. Maybe I am. But there's other means by which God gives us income. Provision, promises. If he enriches me spiritually, he has given me income far greater than anything that my bank account would hold. But this is one of those classic verses where you say, oh, well, that's what I have tendency to do. And I absolutely do not want to taste bitterness because its end, which I've been told, is in death. I don't want that. I don't want to die in my spiritual relationship with God, nor in my fraternal relationship with my brothers. I don't want that. Even in laughter, it says, the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. So we'll close here. This indicates that this disposition, which also was reflected when we first started off, is to be a reminder that a person truly can, as it says, have a heavy heart, but you also have a choice to make with regard to the laughter that God gives. A joyful heart is good medicine. Good medicine, a joyful heart. And so I do believe there is something about the heart of a person who laughs at what would be the situation that may be sorrowful. We've got to know that laughter actually is the expressive component part of joy. Joy is very often linked to an inward deep feeling, but laughter actually is the voice piece of that joy. It's what can tickle you in just a moment of something as simple as I used last week, a puppy. Could be a little kitten. They all do cute things, and I honestly believe they are staged in our life at particular times to create an expression of laughter. And that laughter can only mean that there's evidence of joy in you. And it's joy not that the world gives, but that the Spirit of God sets in our heart as an attribute. The end of mirth may be grief. There are happy days and we should appreciate them, but there's a time to grief. And we also need to be accepting of it. We have to be able to accept a time of grief, and we have to be able to do so as disciples that want to prove that no matter what happens in our life, the Lord God is a provable creator who sees us through, enables us with strength that we do not have in our time of weakness.
We have to live a life that proves itself in the evidence that though it is indeed bitter and what we may say sorrowful, God is the one who has made our life better, a determined future that's eternal, a placement in heaven that exceeds any appointment that we've ever had or ever could have hoped for here. We get to see it in the lives of these young kids. They are so to be admired. If you've ever had the requirement of being a public orator or to lead something publicly, you should be able to say, oh, I remember that caused a knot in my stomach just to do sharing in elementary school. The teacher always made me share it. I mean, my stomach was just going, okay, that's what these kids defied. You're massive to them. You're like five times the size of a classroom for them. And they came as an army of God, as the next young people to affect their generation for as long as we may be here, which I think is very short.